0: Hey everybody, welcome back to episode nine of the Asking for a Parent podcast. It's me, Dr. Coleman Doctor, and it's an absolute pleasure to come back and get a chance to chat to you all again. I just wanted to say thanks to everyone who's downloading and listening to the podcast. It's phenomenal. And, you know, we got our stats this week on how we're doing after the our opening 30 days of the podcast. And I can remember when we first set this up, I mean, we didn't really know what it how many downloads would constitute a successful podcast or whatever and I can remember googling it and seeing somewhere that there was they said 136 downloads in the first 30 days you'd be in the top 50% of podcasts and I went that's not bad that, let's, let's aim for that then when our statistics were revealed this week after our 30 days guys it's amazing we are hitting 10,000 downloads which is phenomenal for two guys who kind of just had an idea and tried to throw something together for the points of without ever hanging a podcast before and, you know, in many ways, recording it remotely and, you know, at the moment I'm talking to you with a microphone in a plastic or a cardboard box at the moment to try and get the the sound quality a little bit good. But from the point of view, it's just been an outstanding response to it. And what's other interesting thing that came to light was that many of our listeners are across the globe. So I think we need to uh, shout out, actually, to those listeners in Illinois, in America, in California to our listenership in Australia and Sydney and New Zealand. And of course, our great friends from across the water in the UK. I mean, the amount of downloads that we're getting across the globe is fantastic. So to all of you who are listening from far and wide, it's probably a bit early to say happy Christmas. So I'll just say it's lovely to have you on board listening to us today. And greetings from Ireland. Anyway, let's get on with today's guest. It gives me great pleasure to introduce my guest this week to the Asking For A Parent podcast. Today's guest is someone I've known for some time and I met her many years ago during the Walk in My Shoes campaign where she was helping out in Saint Patrick's Hospital. This lady always has shown a keenness to talk about mental health issues and has covered many such features as she hosts the most popular T V programme on Irish television. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the Asking for a Parent podcast, Ireland AM's very own, the wonderful Laura Woods. Good morning, Laura.
1: Hi, Coleman. That's a very nice introduction. Thank you.
0: Well, all deserved. And uh, it's an absolute privilege to have you on. And thank you very much for for taking the time to to join us on the Asking for a Parent podcast. So how are you coping? How is it all going in these (laughs) really strange times?
1: The million dollar question. I think it's a very unsettling time. And I'm not sure how I'm feeling, to be honest with you. Uh, A bit of deflation mixed with confusion. I know that I'm fortunate in many ways uh, in that you know, I'm for the moment able to continue working and that gives a sense of comfort and familiarity and structure to routine and will do so over the next few weeks. And also I I live fairly close to my parents, so I've been able to see them uh, over the last few months where others haven't. And I think that has really been a comfort to me and to them, which has been so important. And I have Plenty of friends and colleagues who, you know, who live miles away from their folks. And um, that sense of worry um, is real. Uh, when are they going to see them again, see loved ones again? So my heart goes out to people in that position, you know.
0: And from a parenting point of view, I mean, just to, to situate our listeners, we just were recording this just after lockdown two, uh, level five. How's that looking for you or how, how did you get through the last one?
1: I suppose there was a really different feeling, I think, among the population in general in the first lockdown because we really were all in it together. People were very afraid, all of us were. We didn't know much about COVID-19. It was a situation that we had never anticipated, being confined to our houses, exercising within a two-kilometre radius. Um, having the children with us at all time and working from home uh, as well I love the phrase that you've used in the past you're not working from home you're bringing your kids to work I thought that was very clever the boys were great they're seven and nine almost ten now but seven and nine and I felt that as long as we ensured they were happy and had a an understanding of the situation without overwhelming them, because I think it can be quite scary, especially when, when parents are a bit freaked out by things. They got on fine. They, they were happy. They were playing in the garden with each other. In fact, they've never got on
0: better because normally they're trying strips off each other. And, and with the schools open this time and I think playgrounds and things open, hopefully will be a little bit different. But I, And I think there's probably some learnings to be gotten from... A bit of a pause button too, which we might talk about later on. So uh, when we're looking at parenting, what was your experience of growing up bit and parenting, Growing like in terms of the template you had from your own childhood? Uh, how has that impacted on you as a mom? Um,
1: I think hugely. Uh, I had um, a very happy childhood. Uh, it was just my mom, my dad and myself. I'm an only child. Uh, which would have been quite unusual at the time growing up in in the 80s there were 72 in my year in school and I was the only child only only child in that year I think now the definition of family has evolved so much there are probably uh, there's probably a much higher ratio of of only children for various different reasons but I never felt alone and I think that's because my parents appreciated that at the end of the school day uh, it was really just you know me until the next day so They threw me into a variety of extracurricular activities, some I hated, some I loved. But I never had that feeling of being alone. And I was lucky that I had good friends living nearby too. And I think for girls and certainly in the teenage years, that connection is so important to be able to see your girlfriends, just listen to music or watch TV at the weekends. And I had a very, still do, close group of friends from school and we're still friends today today. It's really only as I got older that I, I realised that perhaps my childhood might have been a little bit quieter and calmer than, than other people's. But, you know, mom and dad, they, they loved going on adventures and travelling. And because it was just three of us, I got brought with them. So I kind of saw a lot of perks to not having any siblings as a kid.
0: Can I ask you a question? Because that's a really interesting grow up as an only child. We've had lots of parents come on the podcast wondering if they're a parent of an only child, wondering about the impact of that on their child and there's that kind of mythical idea of the needing to share and they won't be able to, you know, engage with other people and they'll be in some ways, you know, tunneled in terms of their own views and not be able to see that of others. And one of the guests had mentioned that it's really reassuring when she meets a well-adjusted person who was an only (laughs) child because it kind of reassures that it's going to be okay. What would your advice to those people be?
1: Oh, that's funny. You know, there's I've met a lot of only children in the media industry over the last 20 years. So perhaps there's something there, our constant need for approval (laughs) that has stemmed from childhood, because you always have your parents saying, well done. At the same time, you got caught for everything. I mean, I got away with nothing as an only child. You know, I think that uh, only children don't know that they're particularly growing, they're growing up in a different environment until they go to their pals' houses. And, and certainly in my childhood, visiting my friends' houses, all they seemed to do was roar and scream at their brothers and sisters. So I kind of felt a bit lucky. I didn't have that drama. Obviously, they've, they've gotten older and they've become very close. And I do, as an adult, miss not having a person there to share my parents with and to share childhood experiences and to have a laugh out and just somebody in your corner. I think um, as as a grown-up and seeing my own two boys together, I think how lovely that is that they will always, please God, have each other. But I would say for anybody worrying, and of course, you're, all, you're always going to worry about your kids, whether you've, you know, if you've three kids, you're going to worry that they're not getting enough attention. If you've one, you're going to worry that they're not going to be as well adjusted as other children. Of course they will. They'll, they'll do fine in life and they're going to be afforded, you know, every opportunity you can give them. And also time. I always remember my mom and dad just, just giving me so much time. I wasn't necessarily spoiled in a material way, but I was spoiled with time and love and attention. And I think that's sort of, the end goal for any parents.
0: Absolutely. I love that idea of you going to your friend's house and seeing the siblings and kind of going... Carnage. You can have those. <laughs> can have those. I'm heading back to my, my peace and quiet. It's like... Exactly. Uh, it's like the aunt who can hand back the child going, that was great crack, but I'm off now after filling with sugar. You know. It's-
1: I know, fighting over the remote <laughs> and having to, you know, take your place and not watch a TV show you want to watch because it's your sibling's turn. I was like, oh, forget about that.
0: <laughs> I don't feel at all disenfranchised. I feel lucky. Cheerio. That's brilliant. So who's at home now? Tell me about your family.
1: So my family consists of, and we always laugh that we've sort of tripled in size since I got married and had two children and um, mum and dad, obviously having parented a daughter, (laughs) were a little bit shocked when two boys came along because they're so energetic and full of energy. And and constantly on the go, and constantly falling and hurting themselves, and I think their hearts are in their mouths a bit, um, you know, historically over the years, (laughs) when they'd mind them, they go to bed exhausted, (laughs) you know, don't call us for a few days, type thing. So my husband, Mark, and we've got two little boys, Ben, who's almost 10, and Alex, who's seven.
0: Okay, so they're kind of latency-age children, primary school, both but energetic and busy,
1: very energetic and busy. I find, and I, obviously I'm i not a mum to any girls, but I find that they're extremely loving and very affectionate. But it lasts about 30 seconds. They'll come over and get their fix of a cuddle and then they'll let it. Uh, which I find fascinating because it's almost that sense of reassurance and then back out they go uh, to their friends or hanging out of a tree or jumping on the trampoline, whatever it is. So they are incredibly energetic, but incredibly loving and affectionate, too, which I think is important, especially in boys. I know gender stereotypes are a little bit different now to when we to when I would have grown up. But I think it's really important to instill that um, lovely tactile relationship in boys. And hopefully they'll continue that as they grow into men. I I know my husband is very um, close to his mom and dad. And um, we'll always give them hugs and kisses when he sees them. Uh, and I think that's lovely. I would hope my kids do that when, when I'm older too.
0: That's a lovely description of what we, we describe in the trade as the secure base. So the child goes for the affection and comfort and reassurance that they're minded and kept in mind. And then they can go and explore the world. So the secure base allows them the independence as opposed to it being something they're dependent on, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the way you described it there was lovely because... Maybe the anxious child is the one in the playground who's looking back to see if mom and dad are still there and not being able to feel kept in mind. Whereas the, the hugs, the periodic kind of I'll get my fix of a hug and go off and do my own thing. Is well, that, that's thanks nice not- to you, actually,
1: because I remember a few years ago interviewing you and you said that if children come over and they're looking for that quick fix of a cuddle and um, be available. You you might be sending an email or you might be in the middle of cooking dinner, but look, what's what's 20, 30 seconds? You know, kneel down, give them the hug back and off they go. And really, as you say, they're just looking for a bit of reassurance. Uh, So that always stuck with me, actually, that nugget of advice. Thank you. There you go.
0: It's an investment that pays off, I think. So in terms of the parenting of two primary school boys, busy, active, what would your parenting questions, challenges, wonderingments be? Well, I've 270
1: of them. Um, <laughs> we probably won't get through them all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really find with, uh, with my two that they need to, they need to run it off. Uh, they need, you know, it, it amazes me. We, we could go out on, you know, a family walk in the morning and then, you know, in, in normal times, then take them for their, their uh, football or their Gaelic training. And then they might go to a friend's house and then they might come back and bounce on the trampoline for two hours and then they might have 20 minutes of tablet time and then they keep going and going and going and we are exhausted, we're on our knees by nine in the evening and they're still perky and I wonder where does this energy come from? And my mother-in-law always says, you shouldn't feed them, (laughs) Obviously, she's joking. (laughs) But at dinner time, they just have this renewed energy from eating all this lovely food, and off they go again. So um, every day has been like that, really, over the last decade or so. But there is one thing that really struck me, and I'd love to get your take on it. During the first lockdown, everything came to a standstill. So this would have been all of the children's training and so on. And I I guess like so many other parents out there, you sort of sign them up on on the first day to their football or their gah or rugby... And, you know, it's, it's a small enough commitment when they're little in that it's once a week, but then they get older and suddenly it turns into training twice a week plus a match once a week, multiplied by two. And then if they're playing maybe two sports, it gets incredibly busy. And we felt that we were chasing our tail an awful lot, but that's just the way that it goes at the weekend. And, and to be fair to my husband, Mark, he really takes on the bulk of that because our show is on Saturday and Sunday morning. So I'm not there for this when lockdown happened and everything stopped, we were a lot calmer as a family. We had that family time together. No one was rushing out to practice. No one was forgetting gum shields. So I guess my question to you is, how many hobbies are too many? And are we pushing children because we feel that's what they should be doing, trying everything? Or is you know maybe going, taking it softly and, and maybe not starting a hobby or a sport until they're a bit older the way forward?
0: there's two sides to this and it's a really good question because I think a lot of people struggle with this because they want their child to be involved but not exasperated from that point of view now it links back to your previous question about the energy levels that these kids have and that's a wonderful piece of that is childhood enthusiasm which I think we grow to lose as we get older from the point of view of that but in the case of your job is to regulate children and we regulate their sleep their appetite their screen use their temperatures everything we do is is about regulating them and sport and enthusiasm is not is the same so they will want to be part of everything and they will believe that they have they've no concept of their own exhaustion level and they don't know how much is too much until they've passed it so -hmm. from the point of view as the adult in the room you kind of have to make those calls so Every child will want to be in everything that their friends are in. So I want to be Athletics because Paul does Athletics. I want to do Soccer because Tom does Athletics. I want to do GA because Adam does GA. So what you could end up being is in everything, you know, um, and, and have that kind of hectic scheduling of moving from one to the next to the next. What we don't appreciate is the need for downtime. And I think really from if there's any learnings from our lockdown experience, it has been that downtime is important that downtime counts for something and the idea that we were forced to spend more time with each other and have that quality of connection there's a reassessment of our value system a bit and saying well what is the value of us running from ja pitch to music lessons to and and we're just rushing from place to place and we actually haven't spoken as the whole day you know from saturday from nine till six we've been together but we haven't had a conversation and I think uh, there is a real value in re-evaluating that as we go back into reboarding. You know how much is too much, and really, in the case of children's sport, we need to give them what they need, not what they want. And that might mean them having to choose one thing over another and saying, "You can't do all of these things." The other thing is that, and this is something that's come up in every episode parents are saying that as children get older, the thing gets more competitive. So it goes from, as you say, one training session a week to two training sessions and a match on a Saturday and all that sort of stuff. There really needs to be a space for children to engage in sport that is casual, that isn't performance-based. And, you know, the sport has been the making of many children that I've seen in my work time. It has also been the ruination of many children where we get into the drive for elitism. And, you know, if you show a talent for something, you know, it's like the old days of the GA team. If you were good, you played on the intermediate team, your senior team, you played, and you were kind of run your legs off. And each coach and each sport and each code doesn't realize what the child is doing in the other codes. So they just have them for athletics for that hour, so they're going to work them as hard as they can. They just have them for rugby on a Thursday, so they're just going to. So they, there's no communication amongst them all, so they don't have any probably knowledge of the extent of exhaustion that the child is going through. You as the parent do. And it is about making the call to prioritize the downtime, prioritize the connection time and just giving them enough that they need as opposed to following their own desire and recognizing that an eight and 10 year old won't have good self-regulation. They won't say to you, come here, listen, I think I'm, I might take a, a, a take off training tonight because I'm a bit exhausted or my legs are, so they'll just keep going until they break in that point. So there is a, an issue around as the adult in the room, you have to make that call. And I think by prioritizing your own time with them, that will resolve it itself. If you're seeing I'm not getting enough time to spend because the kids are doing all these things, that's probably not a good indication of their scheduling. And that may well need to be readjusted. The other thing I'd say is avoid specialization in early childhood. So one sport and they do it all the time. We've seen there's high levels of injury profile, there's high levels of elitism, there's high levels of competitiveness, and that. So try everything, but maybe do a season of this and a season of that rather than doing it all at once. So if you if you want to do athletics, okay, well you can do it next year, but you have to drop a sport to do that. Does that make sense?
1: Makes total sense. Yeah, some really interesting points there. And in fact, on that note, also in lockdown, the children said, "I probably for the first time ever, I'm bored. I'm bored." And my husband and I looked at each other and said, we were bored for the whole of the 80s. And I do feel sometimes that, you know, they need to have that sense of boredom because they're always on the go. And and it's okay to feel a bit bored and to find something to amuse yourself at home as opposed to, you know, jumping on the trampoline and saying, what are we doing next? And moving on to a play date and then, as you say, training. So, So it's nice to take a little bit of time out. And I actually really like what you're suggesting about look, you can take on a different sport if you want to join the athletics team or whatever with your pals, but you need to give up something for that 12-week period. And, and then at the end of it all, in a couple of years' time, I guess, will they find out what they actually truly like to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the decision is you, you you kind of, it whittles down. So mm-hmm. you'll do the things that you enjoy or probably the things that you're good at, which is probably, you know, the, the persuasiveness of coaches in teenage years are, can oftentimes be the Indication of what sport you choose to go to. And good people make good coaches. So people tend to follow the where they ha- are having the most fun in that sense. But I would try and keep an eye on that. I mean, in terms of children have to keep having fun. When the fun is gone out of something, I've had so many children say to me, you know, being good at this ruined it for me. In terms really? of yeah, and what we do, we have lots of experience of parents vicariously living out their own childhood sporting dreams through their children. And children saying, I can't tell dad I don't want to play basketball anymore. I can't tell mom I don't want to be swimming anymore because she gets so much out of it. And we really need to step back and see that sport is for them and not for us. And just it's important that the fun element just try to hold that sport should be recreational. This It's not professional.
1: If you have a child who is reluctant to go to the sport every week, I mean, part of being a parent is teaching your children the need to commit to something. And that mm-hmm. just because you fancy watching your favorite TV show uh, doesn't mean you can skive off soccer or whatever it might be, especially when the parent has forked out a few quid, you know, to pay for the term. Sure. So at what point does, you know, the lines are blurred there for me when the child says, I don't want to go. But, but really, you just feel they're being a little bit lazy and they will enjoy themselves when they get there versus that they really have an issue about it. And they just don't like it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would always finish out a season finish out a term if it's a 12 week thing it's a 6 week thing you finish that out that was the commitment that you made but you wouldn't be forcing back in after that and it's about checking out you know oftentimes when somebody comes off the pitch the first question that's the parents we ask is did you win we don't ask them did you enjoy it what was good about it what was not good about it uh, and it should be did you have fun today did how was that and you know it's like the gym i mean n- most of us don't like going to the gym, but we like it when we get there. And if you if you see that your child is having fun and enjoying it when they get there, by all means, you need to be nudging and being directive around it. But I've seen lots of children, and it's probably more kind of singular things, like perhaps tennis, piano, that sort of stuff, where they, they grow to hate it because it's it's a parental ambition and not their own. We need to allow children to experience something enough to stay with it and show commitment, but we need to allow a child to quit as well. And you can quit one thing, but you take up something else in return. Sure. You know I mean? that's
1: a brilliant tip. Asking, yeah. I think mm. I'm guilty of asking, "Did you win every week?"
0: Oh, we always do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you terrible. win? Did you score? You know, and it's not about did you have fun? You know, and that should be the first question. Uh, I really think we need to get back to that because I think you know, ever since we brought in kind of under sixes and under sevens, and you know, it's it's the competitive piece is is. And it's important. And if your kid wanted it and they're brilliant at it and they're loving it, by all means, drive all over the country and support them and get them to the elitism and get them to the top level. But if your child isn't, listen to them, let let them speak. And uh, you'll know if it's, uh, if they're unwilling to do it or they're unable to do it. Unwillingness needs the nudge and unable needs to, okay, let's find something else. Does that make okay. sense?
1: And to have some perspective, yeah, as parents, absolutely great advice. I feel like I need to write all of this down. because <laughs> back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're recording. It's all good. It's all uh, good. And uh, anything else coming up for you as a parent of two boys?
1: Well, I think a parent of two mm-hmm. is sometimes a bit of a, an issue for me. I suppose we just touched on there that I was an only child, so I have no experience of sibling rivalry, a sibling love or anything else. And it is an absolute joy to watch my two grow up together. So many things that I see that I think, oh, that is, that's just adorable. And they really, you know, even though I, I mentioned to you before, they tear lumps out of each other. They, they really are the best of pals and they're quite alike. but obviously they're different little personalities as well. And what I struggle with sometimes is perhaps if one child does well in a school test or you know in a match or something and I want to treat them, I always bring the other one with me, which I think probably lessens the reward for the first child. And in some ways, I think if I had a gaggle of kids in the house, and one of them did well on their test and I wanted to bring them to their skate park or out for lunch on their own, the other two or three would just understand. But when that happens in my house, because there's only two children, I inevitably bring the other one with me because I feel it's kind of sad to leave them at home on their own. So I think that lessens the reward for the first child and takes away from their achievement. Likewise, when you know, one of them is being particularly, might've done something a little bit naughty or behavior isn't great, and I am um, you know, giving out to them or perhaps they've had to have time out in their room or perhaps their tablet's been taken away. The other one will get quite upset about it and, that, and, and talk to me about it, say, I, I'm really sad that you did that. And then I kind of give in <laughs> and give them back whatever it is that they, you know, that they shouldn't have. So I'm not great at treating them separately. I, I bunch them together and I'm wondering how I can get better at that.
0: I think as they get older, they need to have that separatism, first of all. And it's interesting, you, because you grew up as an only child, that you have this issue as well, because we're consumed with favoritism and equality, right? I mean, everyone has to get the same amount of time and everything else. We need to move away from equality as a parent and move towards equity. So there's going to be times when a certain child will need more and the other child will need less. And I always use the example of in an exam year, when your kids are doing Leaving Cert, you know, you will leave them off bringing out the bins. You'll leave them off a few jobs. You will let them get a bit hostile and cranky at times because you'll know what they're going through. And they'll get away with more because you're co- compensating for what they're going through. And the others will say, that's not fair. And you'll say, when you're doing your leaving start, you'll get the same treatment. So it's about the equity is that when you need it, it'll be there. And when you deserve it, it'll be there, but not because you're on the coattails of your brother's success, or in case may be and it does dilutes the success of the other, the child who is achieving. If everyone gets a prize, and we what we know in that, in terms of all the studies, is it, it compromises their sense of their own ability when, but like, if you give everybody a, a medal for a, a race, it doesn't necessarily it, it what it doesn't bring the guys up because they think this is just a tokenistic medal, and it brings the guys down from their achievement because it doesn't stand out. So moving away from equality and getting equity and saying, when you do something really good, you get the rewards for it. When you do misbehave, you will sanction. And, you know, obviously we use the collective community as a sanction sometimes. So if I don't know who broke that vase, nobody's getting this. So you're pressuring someone to come forward and say it was me in order to save their brother losing their screen time unfairly. But you're, (laughs) you're asking a lot of that age group to have that level of conscientiousness and, you know, thinking of the other person so what i'm saying to you is absolutely start to treat them differently from the point of view of if one is rewarded for certain things that they're doing the other one shouldn't get a reward by merit of being present from the point of view of that if there's a sanction to be brought out for misbehavior that sanction should stand for the one other and it can be really difficult with siblings and where the access is the same to the same thing so say if you guess something uh it might be something like a if you can stay up till 10 o'clock and you have to go up to bed at half nine, that's important to have that difference, mainly for the older child to be aware of the different level of independence. And you mentioned it earlier, but the second child may be missing out on some of the steps because he wants to get be the older guy. He wants to be the same age. And we can sometimes accelerate children's expectations because they are so close in age and expect them to be at the same level. And that's not always the case. And, you know, you'll always have to remind when someone when they come in in tears and say he scored six goals and you're going to say, well, he's two years older than you. So when you're (laughs) his age, you'll be able to do that, too. And that's absolutely fine. But I would say the laboratory of life is a great teacher. And from the point of view of life is not going to give them the same prize because your brother got it. So by preparing them at home within the culture. That's absolutely understandable. But it's now that it should start. Up to now, mm. it's fine. You know, one's birthday present, get the other one a little token toy in, in in Smith's because they feel absolutely devastated that they're other, because they're too young to understand it. Mm-hmm. But at the age they are now, they will be able to separate difference. And I, I would be more, I'm conscious of the older guy missing out on this one rather than the younger one, because older children, they're t- typically more sensitive. They kind of are a little bit very thoughtful. They They take things to heart a little bit more. And they do need that recognition when they do mm-hmm. achieve something. And, you know, diluting it by giving it to everybody just doesn't really help them to feel that specialness. That makes sense?
1: It absolutely does. And, and you know what? Our older um, little fella, he's actually probably more laid back than the younger guy. And so he just wants something for a quiet life. So if the little fella's thrown a strop because he's not allowed to come to the skate park because I'm rewarding the older kid, then he just got oh, to spring him with me. And I do. Whereas actually, I. I I hear what you're saying. I need to appreciate the importance of that alone time and, you know, um, giving a reward where it's due. And on that note, actually, just you mentioned earlier on about the younger kids kind of growing up a little bit ahead of their time. And I absolutely feel that with my two. So we've, the older guy has a birthday coming up and um, there was a video game that he wanted to play for the last couple of years. And we've said no, but we've said on this particular birthday, yes, you can have it. Obviously the parental controls will be on and it'll be timed and it'll just be weekend. But it's absolutely not, going to work for us if our seven-year-old is also on this game he's you know too young wouldn't understand the concept of it anyway will only get frustrated um but he's is as excited as his older brother because he thinks oh this is great now once your man's on it i'm going to get a go and i see a battle ahead and i'm not looking forward to it what do i do
0: uh, the battle is coming <laughs> <laughs> there's no two ways about it that it will cause ructions but the parenting role is just staying tough with the with with the ructions and, and trying to manage them as best you can the older lad is getting this because he's at an age where he he's there de- he deserves it he's a, he's mm-hmm. entitled to that level of independence and see how he goes with it the other guy has to wait and i know the and my parents are shouting at the podcast saying that's so difficult to keep an eye on both of them but it is important and the reality is if one is eight and one is ten you're going to cave by the time the other guy's nine right but don't cave when he's eight make him wait the year until he gets to to play it because he will be watching from behind he'll get a, a, a kind of a gradual exposure to it but yeah. um from the off you have to hold the the line with this one and say oh. you're, and you're I just
1: feel strongly about it I totally appreciate mm-hmm. the younger guy mm-hmm. and also actually on that note are some kids more susceptible to being a little bit more addicted to devices than the others because one of my children could take or leave it. That's the guy who's going to get it just because it's, it's, it's the age he's at. And the other guy, you know, would get quite upset when you take away the, their tablet after whatever amount of time they've been allowed on it. Um, and that's a fear that I have too, that he would be more inclined to be on it. You know, if he could be for hours, the other fella can take it or leave it.
0: 100%. And, and our, our relationship with technology is much more determined by our own Vulnerabilities than it is about the technology. So it's not about regulating content; it's about regulating human desire. So you know, the more susceptible you are to social media feedback, the worse that that's going to affect you from the point of view of negative feedback, etc. The more important something is to you, the more potential it has to hurt you or upset you or damage you. And so the child who kind of says, "It's time up on the tablet and they hand it back and say, "Right, I'm going outside." versus the one where you're trying to prize it from my cold white fingers. Do you know what That's exactly it? what we have at home, <laughs> one of
1: each.
0: <laughs> it's, it's the first guy is showing a degree of cop on and good sensibility. And he's he's one you don't need to worry about in terms of the device exposure, the second guy you do, because he just has a more tendency to, to be captivated by it. And the more captivated he is by it, the more vulnerable he'll be to getting engrossed in it. Um, and so that's why even more so if it's the younger guy, is that guy you're kind of a little bit more concerned about that you pace his introduction to these games and to the content because he'll just need a little bit more scaffolding than the other lad will because he just doesn't have the innate regulation of being able to say, I've had enough now. And the one sure. thing about the, the online thing, Laura, is there's nobody online will ever say to you, you've had enough. You know, it gives you what you want, never gives you what you need. So if you want donuts, it'll keep giving you donuts all day. And it will never at any point say, you know, would you not try a drop of water? And so from the point of view of that's the parents, we have to be those regulators. And we have to step in and say, you've had enough of that now. And we need to, to move that back down. A, a little tip on this, if they're getting older, and maybe the older lad might be able to do this a little bit better. Teaching them to self-regulate is important around the 10, 11, 12 area. when Oh, how do to we do them. that? What you do is you charge the device for the week and then remove the charger. And so you have a full charge to use whenever you wish. But you're not recharging this until next Friday or whatever it might be. So you're teaching them to use their own storage and say, "Well, I'm going to take away from this early." And it's like when my mother in the eighties used to do the shop on a Thursday. She used to say, "When they're gone, they're gone. You have them all on Thursday night if you want, but you'll have nothing for the week." And we learned to kind of go, "Okay, well, let's not ravage the press on Thursday night. Let's try and and self-regulate a little bit." And it's similar to that where you. It's harder with the plug-in devices, but. Uh, with battery-operated ones, it is, it's handy to just give them a full charge for three or four days and say, you manage it from here. You know That's I mean? such a so, good idea. So yeah. you're teaching them to take responsibility for it. And the other thing is, if you have a curfew, on, let's imagine on summertime, and your kid wants to come in at 10 and you want them in at 8, what you say is, come in at 8, three days in a row, no arguments, on time, you can push it to quarter past 8. You come in on quarter past 8, no arguments, no rows, on time, we go to half 8. You go, so you're building, the, you're building them to take the responsibility, to take the onus. of. If you do this right, you get more. You do it wrong, you get less. Does that make sense? And the same with the devices. If you're playing ball and I have no concern about how you're reacting, and when I say turn it off, you come out, you get more time. If I say turn it off and I'm getting shouted at, you get less time. Does that sure. make sense? So you put the onus on them to manage it.
1: So hold firm is what you're saying.
0: Absolutely. It's a labor-intensive job, but... That devices have brought great convenience into our lives in terms mm-hmm. of booking flights and online banking. For parents, it hasn't. It has added in a lot of labor. And, you know, buying the computer game or the device or the phone is like buying the puppy. You know, you will be picking up the poo. And, you know, <laughs> great the, the, analogy. The, the, the work only starts then. So, yeah. Yeah, it'd it be just be aware of that there is going to be a bit of work involved when you get this. It's not just there. You go. I'll see you in six months.
1: Because I think that we're all just feeling our way in the dark, in a sense. I always thought my parents had, you know, the whole parenting thing completely figured out, but they they probably didn't have a clue. I mean, I was obviously their first, and um, so they hadn't a clue what they were doing. And then likewise, I feel sometimes that we're just not consistent enough in our parenting that we will five days out of seven be, you know, quite stringent on tablet time and quite specific about what they can and can't do. And then suddenly one of us will be you know, caught up in a work presentation or you know, emails will be coming in that you just have to respond to. And their 20 minutes suddenly becomes 45 minutes because I just need the headspace to do what I need to do. And, I, and it's not their fault. Consistency you know, is obviously up to us.
0: But I think consistency, uh, and I, I would never subscribe to the parenting role of expectation, right? Yeah. Everything about parenting, Laura, is aspirational. We're all trying to do it as best we can, but we're never going to be able to manage it all the time. And it's about not giving yourself grief when you, d- when you can't do it. You do what you can with what you have. And you know the principles, you know the theory. And when you mess up, you try and do it better the next time. But we need to remove the parental guilt about never raise your voice, never always keep the same this thing. You're going to be a different person on Thursday evening after three long days of work than you are going to be on a Sunday morning when everyone's jumping around in the bed having fun. And it's no harm for children to know that you're a different person. If you're a softly spoken, robotic, you know, parent all the time, your child is not going to have any gauge of human emotion. They're not going to be able to understand when they upset people or when people are annoyed at them or when. So they have to see that, obviously within mm-hmm. reason. But from the point of view of, uh, I use the example: if you go in and you're t- eight-year-old is you know destroying the walls with graffiti you're not going to say sweetheart would you not do that outside you're going to let it roar absolutely, and, yeah. and that's absolutely understandable and we need to move away from we have to everything about parenting is aspirational and yeah. life gets in the way and real life is a real life thing and you just do your best and I think we need to move away from our parental expectations and, and move away from the avocado brigade and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. you know because you know we'll do our best and we are doing our best but seven times out of ten you're probably not going to hit it and that's fine nobody mm-hmm. is despite what the Instagram pictures might suggest nobody is doing it as well as they're getting on to be everyone's yeah. struggling you, you always know, think it.
1: everyone else has it figured out <laughs> absolutely
0: <laughs> and I would always say you know I, I think the perfect parent is like the unicorn it's a mythical creature it doesn't exist but it's nice to know that it's there in our minds it's a concept and again and yeah, as I say it's, it's all very aspirational so we need to just remove the pressure and just do our best you know good enough Your is good best. enough you know
1: yeah well hopefully hopefully it will they won't be coming back to you as adults looking for help <laughs>
0: and, and Laura we're just running out of time is there anything else you wanted to have a chat about before we finish up or how are you think um, about
1: that well I think you explained very clearly the dynamics certainly with our you know age range in our family uh, there's just a little over two years between the two of them um so for example with the video game and the little guy turning 10 soon and that son is pushing for more independence and I'm very reluctant to give it. Um, I remember my own childhood being um, so free and lovely, uh, lovely in that, you know, um, we'd go out and play in the green in front of the house in the morning and come back in when we were hungry and get, go back out there again. We live in a busy main road, so that's not the environment that I can offer my kids. But he is pushing for a little bit more independence to walk a little bit further home after school. And I'm just really reluctant to loosen the a- apron strings. But at the same time, I guess... I guess he does need to learn how to be responsible and personal responsibility um, at some point. So how soon is too soon to, to let them off and, and do their thing?
0: Again, age being such an arbitrary tool, it'll depend on him, how sensible he is and how wise he is. Your eldest lad from just one our brief conversations today seems like he's fairly clued in. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't seem to be overly risky or anything like that from that mm. point of view which would mean that he should be able to be given a degree of responsibility the issue here is your own control and that's the issue is trying to step back from that and um, uh, and i i obviously think like I, I go back to the 80s and i used to hitch from primary school home you know what i mean <laughs> there's ridiculous levels of risk and if i saw you my you own children, yeah. <laughs> I and mean, we were rural and so we knew most people on the road but i okay. mean god almighty if my child did that i'd, I'd go to the zark you know not read I mean, from that point of view but the times have changed and things are different, yeah. but we still need to encourage children. And it's not only from an independence life skill point of view, it's from a self-worth point of view. What you're saying is, I believe you can do this. And it's really, really important that children get that message. Because if we go to, they to, always give the example of if your child comes in in the middle of the night, said there's a monster under my bed and you say, OK, hop in here. What you're saying is there is a monster under your bed and I don't believe you can manage it. And the labor intensive thing is to go back and check under the bed and say, see, there's nothing I believe you can stay in here. And mm-hmm. in the first aid school is a great example of that, where we hover around and our children are upset. And what we're really saying to them is, I don't trust these guys either. You know what I mean? Um, when we're anxious, we overestimate the challenge and we underestimate our own ability. And so what we need to do for any child is get them to see challenge in perspective, but absolutely nurture their own sense of ability and it's a real set that it's really a weird in terms of the pandemic to say this but the catchphrase of this whole podcast series has been you've got to say to your child you've got this mm-hmm. or we've got this do you know what I mean and it's just about it's not about promising that everything will be fine but it's promising that I believe in you you know and I believe that you can do it and I, I, no matter how small that independence starts it might be you can walk halfway and I'll meet you halfway or you'll do this and you go as far as there and go as far as there, or you go with me first and then but the the so it's, it's at a pace that you can manage, but it has to have momentum and movement. The child needs to feel that as I'm showing an ability to have be sensible and wise, mom is giving me something back because she believes that I'm able for it. And and sometimes out of our own peace of mind, we disable a child's ability to believe in themselves you're putting
1: across the argument that um my son gave to me and gives to me regularly that's exactly what he says to me do you not trust me you know I know how to cross the road I know how to be safe and he he is he's got his head screwed on I do trust him um it's just everyone else I don't trust <laughs> I just worry for him in general he's my baby you know he's yeah, 10.
0: Yeah. and and again the saying I trust you but I don't trust other people is also suggesting that I don't trust how you can manage other people from the point of view of that and and he will have to find his way in the world where untrustworthy people exist. You know, again, he's ten. He's he no. It's just the more contest. the
1: danger and the road, or the car, and somebody maybe taking their eye off the, you know, the road for a minute. And I just worry. I just worry. But you're right, absolutely.
0: He, he, and, and the worry, the worry, is absolutely understandable. But it's about you working on your own worry, um, and that's the piece that maybe needs to think of the practice. He's probably fine at practicing crossing a road. It's you having to practice letting him cross the road. And, you know, spend some time with him and see how he acts around things. Catch him being good. so It's really sensible. I saw how you were walking across there. So you didn't take yeah. a chance on that. It'll just reinforce and, and incentivize more kind of common sense reactions to things. But my guess is he's, he's wiser than you probably think. And that's probably your own worry about him. That's kind of, but what if, but what if, but what if. He'll manage. He'll be fine. Just at, let it, at the pace that you can manage is important but just that he sees a little bit of progression because he'll stop asking if he feels he's getting nothing back. So Which would he, be great. Yeah, no, but... From, if from he's, if of, he's
1: able to progress, what I, I mean by that is...
0: Yeah.
1: If he's able to progress, and I suppose, as you say, you know, as parents, we just need to meet them halfway if we think they're up for it. And they're up to to the challenge. And it's not a massive challenge. It's just walking down two roads. But maybe, as you say, I might do it with them a couple of times and yeah, see how we get on.
0: And I, I think this is probably a, a nice way to finish on this conversation. The world is a lot more complex than it was when we were around. It was like it was uh, it, it is phenomenally more difficult and nuanced and all the things that go on. And our fears are greater now than they ever were before, which is <laughs> you know a, a real thing. But children are really clued in. I see these kids every day and they are they're smart. These, these kids are, are a lot more they're not more able than we probably give them credit for and you know i wouldn't believe the millennial narrative that they're all kind of uh, indulged and and clueless uh, not at all. far from it these kids unfair, are yeah. incredibly savvy and we just need to believe in them a little bit these guys are they're bringing us all these great things like you know the uber and all this sort of stuff that of the world they're, they're coming out with these really creative things and we need to let them color outside the lines a little bit and let's let's see where they take it with this because they're just bringing a different conversation to the story mm-hmm. but yeah, let's trust them a little bit and see how they go. And I think that's that's a lesson in parenting all the time. But the final thing I'd say to you is parenting is all about pacing. It's about timing the thing right so that you don't disable your child by overdoing, but you don't overwhelm them by underdoing. And again, Laura, I'd say to you, that's trial and error. You're gonna know, oop, that was a little bit gave them too much there. Oop, not enough there. And Again, it's about all of us just giving ourselves a break. You can't, we're not, we're not fortune tellers. We can't tell how it's going to work. So we have to try it and, you know, show up and try and fix it if it doesn't go right. That's the thing that I'd say to all parents. But just relax on the parental guilt. I think we need to, you know, things that are difficult enough without adding that into the mix. And uh, we're all doing fine. You know, we're not failing everything. We're, we're surviving everything. We'll get there. That, and we will. And just to say, Laura, the, the job that you guys are doing on Ireland on AM, keeping the spirits up and keeping things going uh, between yourself, Tommy and Karen and all the team there, it's absolutely fantastic. So keep up the good work and we'll keep tuned in. Thank
1: you, Coleman. It's And it's our pleasure to do it.
0: And it's an absolute privilege for you to come on the, the Asking for a Parent podcast. And it's fantastic. And if anyone wants to get in touch with the show, you can, you can catch us on Twitter at Asking for a Parent or email any <laughs> of your questions to askingforaparent at gmail.com and we'll try and address those in the next episode. Laura Woods, thank you ever so much. Thanks for listening. All the best. It Bye-bye. feels
1: like a therapy session. Thank you so much. <laughs> I feel very calm now.
0: Good. <laughs> good. Glad to hear it. So. <laughs> that was a lovely Laura Woods. And I really enjoyed that conversation with Laura because we touched on some really important points. I mean, that issue around, you know, the insight as to what it's like to grow up as an only child from someone who's reflecting as an adult on that experience is really fantastic and then she talks about you know that issue around when you have two children how do you sanction them differently and reward them differently without getting into that deliberations over equity and favoritism and then that really thorny issue of you know scheduling and over scheduling and I think there's something to be learned from what we talked about as we reboard post covid you know do we return to the hectic scheduling of before or do we maybe reprioritize things a little bit and you know that idea that how much is too much we want to give our children activities that allow them to grow and evolve but not to overwhelm them and so again a super chat there and, and thank you to Laura for bringing up those questions and adding those insights and if you have any questions about what Laura and I spoke about you can get them through the usual channel to us is through the asking for a parent email at askingforaparent.gmail.com or through the Twitter, Instagram and Facebook pages. Uh, And we will get to your questions in the next episode. But my thanks to Laura Wood for joining me on the episode today and to yourselves for listening. And until next time, take care, stay safe and bye for now.